Tonight I'd like to speak about compassion. In the Tibetan tradition, it is a topic which is the most often taught. It's very seldom that the teacher will speak about emptiness or the view like I spoke last night, but much more often about compassion. to bring some more reflection around our practice of exchanging self for others. I will bring a few reflections about a very short text, a very old text called the Eight Verses to clarify the mind. I had received a teaching by a Lama in Ladakh quite a few years ago. Actually, I was guiding a group of tourists, French tourists from Paris. It was a priest with his friends, and when I saw them before starting the trip, they said that they would like to meet a Tibetan Lama and receive some teaching. So luckily this summer, one very, very respected Lama was there, Ritzong Rinpoche, he was staying in his monastery. And I could contact him before, and I requested this teaching for this group, thinking that would be appropriated for a group of people who were not so much interested into Buddhism, but would certainly appreciate some reflection about compassion. So he was staying in his monastery, Ritzong Monastery, <coughs> that his former incarnation had built. In a former life, Rizong Rinpoche went to Monkelash to meditate, and he spent many years there, was happy in his cave, imagining a nice meditation. And one day he went down to fetch water. Then he heard some women speaking, and he recognized that they spoke the dialect of Ladakh. So he went near them, nice to see some people from his own country. And actually when he went near, that was his sister. So they were very pleased to meet after so many years. They certainly made tea as it should be in the Tibetan or Ladakhi tradition. And then the sister said, well, I think for you it's time to come back to your country to teach the people there. There are enough lamas in Tibet, but we need some proper monks in Ladakh. And Rinzong Rinpoche refused, he said, no, no way I will leave the cave. So the sister, who had some determination, she asked him, she said, well, let's go and see your teacher. So they went to see his teacher, and his teacher said, yes, it's time for you to go to your country. Your sister is right. So originally, he went back to Ladakh, and then he retired in the mountain, and built a very small house, and started to meditate there, like he did in Mount Kailash. And slowly a few monks gather around him to get instruction from him about meditation. And then the number grew bigger and bigger. So they found another place and built a small monastery, which is still nowadays in Ladakh, one of, very, one of the very peaceful monasteries. So it was nice to receive this teaching from an incarnation of this nice meditator. But before giving some reflection on this 
say it well to clarify the mind. I will give a little bit the context again about condition. I remember one teacher of the Dalai Lama said once that Westerners they cannot imagine what is accomplished in the Buddhist tradition. So I thought he was a little bit pretentious because in the Western tradition we also are teaching about completion. But I should say after having learned or heard so many teachings about completion, then I have to say that certainly there is a dimension that I that I think is quite overwhelming in the notion of compassion in the Buddhist Mayana tradition. If we imagine that the notion of selflessness is quite strange, vast and difficult to accept, we have to see that compassion is based on the same kind of reflection and it has the same dimension. So it is as much overwhelming, so to speak, as the notion of selflessness. What we have been connecting with our practice of exchanging self for others is the practice of giving and taking, which is usually called Tonglen. And this comes from a teacher who met a sentence like the one we are using and was amazed by it and looked for some solution. So this uh, Lama was Geshe Chegawa, and when reading a text on the eight verse to clarify the mind, he came to one sentence which says that one should take upon oneself all the blame and the mistake and suffering and one should give all our virtue and everything and our happiness to others. And he was amazed and he wondered if one can find proper source in the Buddhist scriptures for that. So he wanted to find the source of that he started to look for the writer of those eight verses to clarify the mind. But when he reached the monastery, actually this monk had died. So he met one of his disciples. And this disciple was teaching at this time just rules and precepts of behavior. So Geshe Chigawa was disappointed. So it was, I come expecting to have this beautiful teaching on love and compassion, and this monk is only speaking about rules and precepts. So he waited till the end of the teaching and then he went to see him. So well, I come to get some teaching from your teacher, but now he has passed away, so I would like to get some clarification from you. And he started to check a few sentences and ask clarification. Then he really was wondering if he can find sources in the Buddhist scripture. And this Lama said, well, you check in some text by Nagarjuna, and there you will find the source. So he went in this text and found the proper sentence from Nagarjuna. And in the tradition of Buddhist Mahayana, Nagarjuna is really, I don't know, maybe like Shakespeare for English literature, so you can't find better. So uh, since he found in Nagarjuna's text, quotation saying that, then he saw that's proper to practice in this way. So taking up on oneself the suffering of others and giving them happiness and virtues. But Nagarjuna's context in his book 
He does not teach it by using himself for others. The ground for his reflection is seeing all sentient beings as one's own mother. And that's very strong tradition in Buddhist Mayana, especially when one believes in rebirth, previous life and future life. Then one is, since it is said that samsara has no beginning, then one may imagine that all sentient beings have been one's, one's mother, therefore one can actually see all sentient beings as one's mother. And on the base of such a reflection, then develop the sense of love, kindness and compassion. So the tradition of Nagyajuna follows these lines. of seeing all sentient beings as one's mother. And sometimes compassion has been taught in the West with this type of reflection, but it has often brought some kind of difficulties. First, it's not so sure that we all would believe with certainty in previous life or in future life. And moreover, some people complain about their mother, saying that they don't really want to see all sentient beings as their mother. So it seems that this argument is not very strong. So if we can't believe in future life and past life, rather in the kindness of our mother, <laughs> of course the argument is quite weak. <laughs> That's why I don't think it's really the reflection that I would like to use, although I have not to complain about my mother, but to speak about a certainty about past life and future life as a ground of my own practice and development, I don't think that is so strong or strong enough. So that's why we have been following Shantideva's line. And if Geshe Chegawa has been directed towards Shantideva, then you would have found exactly the same quotation, Shantideva being also somebody trustworthy, but you would have found there not the reflection based on seeing all sentient being as one's mother, but he would have seen the reflection of patient himself for others. Then I think that this um, tradition may be very rich to explore, since I believe that most of the Tibetans do practice in the way of seeing all sentient being as their mother. They, I never have heard that they really base the practice of Don Len on exchanging self for others. If we look at Shantideva's text to see what precedes the action himself for others, he's very, very gradual. So first he sees that equality of self and other, that we are all the same. And he brings some reflection that could be used in our meditation also. He said, what is happiness for me is happiness for others. And what is suffering for me is suffering for others. In that exactly in the same way that we may, if we burn our hand, we may feel that painful, it would be painful for any other being. In the same way as we avoid difficult situation, all beings would avoid difficult situation. And in the same way as we are looking for comfortable situation, pleasing situation, in the same way all sentient beings are looking for those situations. So there is no difference in the wishing for happiness and the wishing to avoid suffering. Not that we may believe that some people are really looking for suffering. Although sometimes it may appear. 
So in the case of confusion, but it's always some confused attempt yet to solve the problem of suffering. Then he has another line where he says, hope I will quote it properly, he says, it is not because my suffering is not felt by others that it is not painful for me. It is not because my suffering is not felt by others that it is not painful for me. And he said, well, it is not because the suffering of others is not felt by me that it is not painful for them. And back to this configuration for the suffering of others. Then he said that what is so special about myself that I should only take care of myself and not of others, looking for some specific characteristic that we may really grasp and say that that's really a good reason why I should take care of myself and not of others. There is something more in me, something more special in me that justifies this consideration that I bring to myself. So that was the equality of self and other. Now, Shantideva invited us contemplation and the disadvantage of cherishing oneself. You see that all the problems come from this attitude. So that the root of all suffering in this world, I know no other cause than the cherishing of oneself. There is no other cause. So exactly as this one and one hand in a fire, the only way to stop the burning of one's hand will be by withdrawing it from the fire. In the same way, the only way to stop our suffering is by, <coughs> by withdrawing from the self-concern. Of course, he has many of those reflections, give many arguments for that. Then he goes into the third reflection, which is the advantage of cherishing others. And that's also very much into the Buddhist Mayana tradition. So that if one takes care of others, then that will bring happiness to self and to others. And that it is not possible to become a Buddha, to reach perfect awakening, without depending on sentient beings. Let's say if there were no sentient beings, nobody could become a Buddha. Because one can only become a Buddha by developing love and kindness for sentient beings. If there were no sentient beings, this quality could not be developed. Then it would be not possible to reach the state of a perfect Buddha. At one point, Shantideva and I think maybe even Nagarjuna say that whenever you look at someone, then you may look at this person and think that it is because of this person that you may become a Buddha. They pretend of gratitude for all sentient beings. And the next step, the one we have been exploring, is exchanging self for others. 
So he was very, he went step by step, first the sameness of self and other, then the disadvantage of creating oneself, then advantage of creating other. Now, we go one step further. We don't see other as the same as ourselves. We see them as more important. We exchange ourselves for other. This step goes further. And many reflection again on that aspect. We may see so that the notion of self and other is quite vague. And I'm sure you will agree with me when we try to see other ourselves, it's quite vague. We don't exactly know what we have to place on other. Because it's not a very a notion very very clear. Actually it can change. And the notion of self and other it's not like blue and red. Blue and red we will all agree on nearly what is blue and what is red, or if you wish what is, I don't know, purple and what is white. We'll agree with that. But self and other we all disagree. So I see myself as self and you are all, you see myself as other. And you are not the only one, all the world see myself as other. So why, why should I believe that I am right and you are wrong? For which reason? That I may be so convinced that I am right. So this notion of self and other is just a notion very vague. And that's what Shantideva asked us to question. And I think in a very in an amazing way. This reflection is based on the sense of self or other are not ultimate truth. They are just way of seeing the world, way that we may be speaking about self and other. And you saw that when I try to speak about sometimes it gets very confusing. We don't know if we're speaking about the meditator seeing self or self in other. So it's quite, it's just a notion, a way of speaking. So Shantideva questioning that, saying that we hold that as really the truth. That that is self and all other are other. Like if it was really something that could never change. Questioning that and think that we develop this sense of self, maybe even not completely at birth, maybe we get that in the first days or first months, we develop that sense of self, think of the limitation of that. And by this power of habituation, suddenly we get the certainty that self is here and other there. And since, if we follow his reflection, that is the source, the root of our suffering, we may question that, this point of view. Not the point of view of having a body, a mind, fragile, which can experience pain and suffering, but questioning this notion that brings so much grasping to those experiences. And then trying to shift that in this exceling self for others, as we've been uh, trying every day, trying to, to feel and understand what it could mean. So it is this tradition that we've tried to follow. And in the text now, in this eight verse, to clarify the mind, we will see that there is two ways. Either we may see our being as our mother, or we may see our being as self. If we don't practice this different point of view, then I think it will be difficult to follow the advices which are given in those uh, verses. I'll 
not read them completely, I'll just give you a few reflections on them. So the first one is that having the determination to accomplish the welfare of all sentient beings, I shall constantly hold them dear. And he said they are, they are more, or they excel, the wish-fulfilling gem. So for him there is in Indian tradition this gem which can accomplish all our wishes. So imagine fantastic we have that and all what we desire for will reach it. And he said the sentient beings are more rich or more important than that because this wish-fulfilling gem cannot bring enlightenment while the sentient being can do. That's why we have to cherish them. It's very important. So when I am with other people, I shall view myself as the lowest of all and hold the other as dear and supreme. So again, my question was, reading those texts sometimes, if one has a tendency of low esteem, low self-esteem, I was wondering that maybe bring some more of this confusion of low esteem. Therefore, if there is no external self for others, I will be concerned that some of the reflection may in some way be harmful. But now, if we have practiced external self for others, then that starts to be a beautiful game. So whenever one is with other people, one will see them as dear and supreme. And one will see, so one will see the self there, of the Supreme and one see this stranger here of the lowest, the less, least important. Not a, not a problem. Because now we have this sense, not seeing ourselves in our form, in our shape, but just sense of sense. So that's very nice to believe that they are fantastic. And what about this person here, this stranger? No problem. Stranger letting come the last, being the lowest. So if we understand this shift, that becomes possible to practice, otherwise it starts to be some kind of mortification or self-denial. So something is asked from the practitioner and more will be asked. So you say when we meet somebody very of wicked nature, who is violent and on the power of anger. So I shall hold this person as if I had found the supreme treasure. So that's quite an amazing statement. So when we see really the worst person we could imagine, we have to look at this person as if we had found a beautiful treasure. Can we bring that and say, how beautiful? when we see this person with such a wicked nature. I don't remember what Vizum Rinpoche said about that, and I take in a few commentaries and I did not find much clarification about why to see. Now if we practice actually self or other, we may, we may understand, but there may be other ways or other reflection to bring to this reflection itself. Let's imagine a physician, and now a few people come to see him. And then you see that some people have a very, very light illness, but one person has a very, very serious illness. And certainly, I would imagine, 
that this physician is going to take care of this person more carefully than the other because this person needs much more attention and much more care so this weakened person certainly needs more attention more care than other people who already practice virtue and are so full of qualities so this person will need certainly much more attention is also other reflection on that we may imagine in our own practice to go deeper then when we meet a challenge those challenges will help us to go deeper if we have some kind of sickness within ourselves and we need a very powerful laser beam to just cut that part so that we may be cured so we may imagine that this wicked person is like this fantastic laser beam just getting right exactly to the place where we may still have some sense of self or holding to self-directing attitude so this person is just revealing it immediately so by this revealing it we may not cling to it and then go deeper in our practice therefore this person is very precious what another aspect to look at that and the third one is not to question it but just to try just to try to change rather than having the tendency when we see people very bad to look at them badly so then try to change can I see this person and try just to see finally this person maybe as something very special and that's possible not that we should come with so much judgment value that we know so much who is good or who is always good or is ultimately good and just change the look and say this person as really precious so just trying that and that's also very interesting because the power of the mind may be very strong in a negative way but we may find out that it may be also very strong in a positive way and that could be possible So the next line says, when others out of jealousy treat me badly, insult me, I shall accept their hard words and offer the victory to others. So when somebody comes and accuses, for example, then how just to accept all the mistakes or wrongdoings that this person may be putting on us, how to accept that and say, yes, you are right. So if we are practicing self for others, that is completely possible and easy. If we have not practiced that, then it becomes strange again, because it seems that we are inflicting to the self some kind of burden and some kind of, um, with some kind of negative way of looking at the self. Now, of course, such a reflection doesn't mean that one should become stupid and when there is outcome for oneself and for others, one would just accept all those critics and say, yes, you are right. And somebody comes and says, you have stolen my car. And you say, yes, you are right. And then if you put you in jail, <laughs> maybe it's compassion, but certainly not wisdom. So again, compassion doesn't mean that we will forget about wisdom. And then we'll imagine all the cases where that would be so stupid.
And he said, when people I have assisted and people I have helped, my friends, the close, close people to me or relatives, then they inflict harm, harm upon me, then I should hold them as my spiritual friend. So even more difficult, now it's not only people that we don't know so well who come and accuse us, but it's even people very close to us that we may have helped. And when they, for some reason, suddenly act badly towards us, then to see them as a spiritual friend. So again, in the same sense, that they will help our spiritual growth. Very important way. And again, if we practice actually self for others, that will be not done with difficulty and not done with a sense of self-denial. The next verse said, in short, I shall offer benefit and bliss to all mothers. So then we get back to the Nagarjuna tradition and general tradition to see all being as mother. So I shall offer all benefit to mothers and secretly I shall take upon myself all the arms and suffering of my mother. So and offer all the happiness and bliss to others, seen as one's mother, and one will take all their suffering, seen as a mother, as our mother, upon oneself. The last one, and having not, not been defiled, all that by the preconception, the eight preconceptions. So having not in my mind the eight preconceptions, or the worldly concern, and by seeing all phenomena as illusory, free from attachment, I shall be released from bondage. So those eight worldly preoccupations are preoccupations by gain and loss, fame and disgrace, praise and blame, pleasure and pain. So in those eight, so for set of two, which is interesting with gain and loss, we may see that when we are in this attitude of searching oneself and not other, then we always will be on the side of gain, on fame, praise and pleasure. And we will leave the rest for the other, the loss, disgrace, blame and pain. So not being moved by that, by extending self for others, then we will be on the side for us of loss, disgrace, blame and pain. And again, not for the sake of some kind of idealistic point of view. Well, that, that's so fantastic that this Keshe from, uh, I don't know, 12th century has done that, or this, or the Buddha has done that, so I should do that. That will be not a good, not well grounded. To come back to Shantideva's reflection, doing that is to make oneself happy. It's not for the sake to make oneself suffer. It is to make oneself happy, and it also makes others happy. So I think in any circumstance, if we see that we are inflicting upon ourselves more suffering, there is something which is not proper in our attitude. Either the difficulty is too strong for the kind of compassion we have developed, so we have to change something. I think it's very important that most of the time we check. And of course, by perceiving all phenomena as illusory, then as this text want to be 
complete as a practice, then they bring the practice of wisdom also. That all those different reflections will be perfect when they will be seen with wisdom. That we are developing with the meditation on the nature of the mind. So this kind of reflection brings the practitioner to the spirit of awakening, which is the determination to liberate all sentient beings from suffering. So in some precepts, practitioner will every day, again and again, make this determination to liberate all sentient beings from suffering. And there are many precepts of the spirit of awakening. I just We'll read one, the first one of the five first precepts, I think there are 46. The first one said that I engage never to abandon any sentient being. Never I would say to one sentient being that I would not care for his awakening. There is one, one story happening in, in India, South of India about one of the greatest logicians, Linganga. Every day he was writing uh, on a stone some uh, part of his treaty on logic, Buddhist logic, very important. But during the day somebody would come and just uh, erase what has been written. So Linganga got tired and one day he said, if you don't agree with me, stay and we'll debate. So one day he came and there was a Brahmin there and they debated, and the Brahmin was defeated. But then he took some sand and he threw to the, in the eyes of Dinaga and took the stone and broke the stone and ran away. So one stone was broken, so Dinaga was really disappointed. He said, it's not possible to care about the well-being of all sentient beings. He said, that I give up. I will just stay in my cave or hermitage, wherever he was, and just practice for myself, but I will not write anymore this uh, treaty uh, for the sake of others. So he took one stone of, on which he had some writing of his text and threw it in the sky and said, when it will fall down, that's up for me. I will have given up at this time the decision to write this treaty for the sake of others. But Manjushri who saw that from the sky, he thought that, that's a pity because this Dinaga is really with Dhammachyatism more skilled logician in the Buddhist tradition, so he held the stone, so the stone could not uh, fall on the ground. And then he, he gave advice to Dinganga to complete his treaty, saying that it would be very beneficial for so many sentient beings. I imagine it is, because the Tibetans do still study this text on, on Dinganga's logic. Then Manjushri left the stone and he could not hold this stone otherwise in the sky and it fell in Tibet, near Lhasa. And he said that one place where the highest monk of the monastery will gather to, to debate. So this stone is in uh, for there, from Dinganga. Then they met every year for the contest among the abbots of the highest monastery in, in Lhasa. So in the tradition of developing the state of awakening, some reflections are brought, and it is asked that Whenever one gets up, 
one should consider what can I do for others today. And all the day long, any action should be seen as for the sake of others. When one would go and look for water, fetch water, cut vegetables, always remember that any of our actions are done for the sake of all others. And in the evening, every evening, one should consider so what I have done today for the sake of others. And just bringing this reflection for the sake of others in any of our activities. That any small activities like walking, walking to go to the meditation hall, going, walking to go to the kitchen, walking to go wherever, to the train station, all that will be seen with a motivation that it can be done for the sake of a certain being. Shantideva writes in the, at the beginning of his text, he says, May I be a protector for those who need protector. May I be a guide for the travelers. May I be a boat, a bridge, a ship for those who wish to cross over. May I be a lamp to those who need light. May I be a bed to those who need to rest. So it's just his wish to be wherever people may need anything that he could be there to help them. And he said that if anyone look at me with anger and hatred, may this anger and hatred be the cause for them to accomplish all their wishes. So that even the wrong attitudes, the difficulties that others may bring facing me, that I could <coughs> wish that these difficulties will be the cause for their happiness and the fulfillment of their wishes. So that may give <coughs> a little bit the context of the practice of extending self for others. Since going onto the path to reach the state of a Buddha, one would develop this attitude till one would be able to sacrifice oneself for the sake of others. And as it is said, to go in the <coughs> deepest hell, the burning hell or the cold hell, as happily as a wild goose will just dip into the pool, the cold pool. So with so much happiness, would we be ready to go and meet all the people who are suffering for their own sake, to help them? Again, if we don't connect that with the reflection on selflessness, on emptiness, and the reflection of actioning self for others, or to which the known true existence of the notion of self and other, then that, that does not make sense. So when we see the training in the tradition of compassion and love and kindness in the Mahayana Buddhist, and one may wonder, it seems quite difficult to develop oneself till one will be able to do that. Indeed, it seems quite difficult. But if we reflect on what Gandhi did in India, for example, how amazing that he took people without having training in meditation, there are no week of meditation retreat, and he asked them to just sit and to be able to bear the suffering or the harm that the soldier would bring to them without reacting. And maybe thousands and thousands of them were able to do that. Ordinary being like us, 
There are no special training. There is no training in Tonglen or in the action itself or other. Just the power, the conviction that can be brought to them. Then this is as shown, as being shown in their own behavior. So that may be possible for some other. Why not for us? Or if we imagine also Martin Luther King, what he did in, in the States, how he was the power that he brought for the people not to react against completely stupid violence. I remember one part where some people came and burned a church and killed four young black girls and that he had to react without any hatred and he had to help all his black community not to react with hatred not for some higher ideology but also because he knew that if they wanted to reach their aim which was freedom for the black people and more peace and happiness they had not to react with hatred and when <coughs> people understood if you wish that was a way to some amount of freedom and some amount of happiness, then by this conviction they could not react with hatred to hatred. Again, they were ordinary people like us in a very difficult situation and with strong determination. So the power of love and compassion can be developed and also expressed in daily life if we understand really that is a way for us, a way to happiness and not only for us, but also for others. This is coming out well in the Mayana tradition that one should accomplish the two benefits for self and for others. I remember once in Bodhgaya, at the time of the hippies, some came to see the Dalai Lama and asked him, so what is the aim of your life? They thought he's a monk, he has so many rules, it must be quite boring. The hippies could end your life, take drugs, and have a nice life. So he looked at them with his big smile and said, well, he's to be happy and make others happy. So they could connect with that. They could understand immediately what he means. And it was not a cheap way for him to, to answer. It was exactly the way it stated in the Mayana text. The two aims is make oneself happy by reaching freedom and making others happy by helping them to reach freedom. And that's really the aim of the spiritual path. So if we understand that our, it is our way to freedom and happiness, then we may get the determination to practice it and develop it. So we may stay a few minutes in silence. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.